Hello, everyone. <laughs> hey, Tony. <laughs> Anyone else want to say hi? Just kidding. Hey, Matt. Well, I like this smaller crowd. It feels very family-like to me, which is cozy. I, I know, you know, everyone's, it's good to spread out. I have like an impulse to tell everyone, like, come, come closer, come closer. But it's okay. Keep your distance. We're in Canada. We've got lots of space, right? Well, um, it was fun preparing, getting to prepare this for today. Um, I feel like I've missed every one of Harrison's sermons leading up to this uh, because of Discovery Zone or some other activity. Um, so let's see how much, you know, you think of how the scriptures, like the, the authors, uh, the writers of the scriptures, they like agreed as they, uh, as, the, as the Bible came together in its canonization. Well, let's see how much Harrison and I agree <laughs> in the writing of our, uh, our, of, our, of our sermons. Well, we're using the same, the same uh, textbook here. So uh, yeah, thanks for praying, Tony. Let's dive in. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, um, either scroll or turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2. And uh, I just want to bring our minds back to uh, some of the verses of last week, uh, as I just think it's critical that we kind of refresh our minds there as we dive into the next section as it ties right in. Um, so the previous chunk of verses, well, let's just, let's just read them. Let's just look at, um, so I'm covering 12 to 18 today, but I want to look at starting at 5. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Um, I'll just read this quick and then go forward. So it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So in this chunk of verses, Paul's reminding um, the saints of, Phil- of Philippi of Jesus' high and exalted position, and yet how he took on a hugely humble position coming to earth. Um, so just... Wanted to recap that um, as we go into the next bit of verses. So, um, in this letter, in this area here, uh, to Philippi, the Christians of Philippi, um, Paul asks a series of reflective questions in the in the section that we'll be diving into, and um, he drives it home by by encouraging them here with the part I just read to have the mind of Christ, to to be like Christ. Um, there was contention, there was issues with the, the saints there at the time. Um, from the B- Believer's Bible Commentary, it said that uh, Paul wrote to correct a problem of selfishness and a party spirit that was present among the saints of Philippi, and as well to cure their condition. The cure of their condition was to put on the mind of Christ. Um, again, as Christ humbly gave up glory for Bethlehem, um, Bethlehem for Gethsemane, Gethsemane for Calvary, so too we must live in humility by the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit. Um, And remember how Paul said uh, just a little bit earlier in chapter 1, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, living a life padded with safety and insulated with security and dulled with comfort isn't the life that God has promised his children. And yet, this is what is flying in our face, in our culture today, um, to live for yourself, to, to look out for number one. So to live for Christ 
means that you're going to have to go against the grain of what you're seeing every day at your uh, work, uh, on the street, in shops, on television, um, basically just against what is common around us, right? Um, besides, that life could likely be self-centered and pretty contentious as you fight for your own personal gains and goals. Um, you would be building your kingdom, right, rather than his kingdom. And, and we're to be uh, Christ's kingdom builders, not our own little, building our own little uh, kingdom. So to, do, to live with what our culture is showing us as is being important is far from the encouragingly bright, encouragingly bright joyous living for Christ. Um, and that's what we are designed for. We are designed to live a bright, joyous life for Christ. We should want to have the same attitude as Christ, which will affect how we think, and how we think will affect how we act for the glory of God. It says earlier there, uh, the part I just read, that Jesus did not cling. Um, You know, he gave up. He gave up much so that he could take our place on the cross. So neither should we be, I like how Jody's dad always says this, we shouldn't be Klingons either. Um, We shouldn't cling to things that slow us down in the race. Uh, We want to run with excellence to the glory of God. Okay. Let's read the section that I am to cover now that I kind of got this refreshed in our minds and read it in one chunk and then we'll parse it out verse by verse basically. So starting in 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You know what? This is not... Can you grab me an ELT at the back, please? (laughs) Thank you. I thought that Bible that I grabbed was an ELT, and clearly it's not, or an NLT. No, that was an ESV that I grabbed. Is this NLT? I need need an NLT, please. (laughs) See, the whole thing is I left my Bible intentionally to use the Bible that the church uses, and then I grab one of Harrison's that looks similar that is not an NLT. Bloop. Take two. Come on. Okay. Anyways. The same message was conveyed, I hope. So, obedience. Paul's talking about obedience at the beginning here. Um, we live our lives daily, moment by moment, with choices to be made, do we not? Think of how many choices you make in a day. And, and a lot of those either to draw you closer to Christ or, or, or weaken your relationship, to obey or to disobey. And what we are choosing to obey or disobey is simply who you see as your hopefully loving authority figure in your life, whether it's a parent or God. <laughs> Often with my kids, I'll tell them to complete a certain task, whether it's going to put on their PJs after dinner or pick up some toys or what have you. Um, it's clear that if I'm there with them, their focus is sharpened, <laughs> their attention isn't distracted as much, the task tends to get done at a quicker time. 
Then as they build trust with me, I find myself sort of distancing a little bit. You know, I'll go to the kitchen or whatever, helping Jody, and I'll kind of like yo-yo a little bit and touch base and see how they're doing. Um, but often that'll take longer. I'll have to kind of correct them and set them back on course. Um, it's always quicker if I'm with them, even if I'm not helping with the task, but just to keep them supervising. Um, but the upward trajectory is that I do see progress in them. I see that I can leave them a little bit more to do what I've asked them to do and, you know, age appropriately. Some days are better than others. <clears throat> and in its simplest form, I think this is what real discipleship is. I mean, we disciple people for many things, right? We think of discipleship as just like one topic of spirituality or something like that. But that's me discipling my kids um, in, in obedience and looking after their things. And so the more I give them, the more responsibilities and freedoms that they gain, it tells me they're getting it, they're growing. And I wonder if this is where Paul is kind of coming from. He, it says, you followed my instruction when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. So I see an overlap there, and, and I wonder if this is what Paul was desiring to see with the Philippian church. When he was with them, it says, you always followed my instruction. But then being away, it seemed to be perhaps a struggle, just as like when I'm away from my kids and I've, I've assigned them a task to do. Um, it seemed like there was contention among the believers, but the cool thing is this revealed an opportunity for growth, to obey the Holy Spirit's counsel in their life. When one can stay on track and complete a mission, remain faithful without a very present father figure in front of them, it shows that growth, it shows growth, and, and this growth is important, it's critical, it's part of sanctifying, sanctification. And yet, of course, we know that God, our Heavenly Father, he is always present, right? We have an omnipresent uh, Heavenly Father. But he's much gentler, likely, and perhaps challenging to follow being unseen than a father who is physically standing in front of you. Next, I really just want to comment. I like how NLT, glad that I got the right translation finally, the really inspired one. No, just kidding. <laughs> that was a joke. They're all inspired. Um, I really like how the NLT translation translates this part of verse 12 um, where it says, this, the latter part, um, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. I just wanted to kind of like point that out because there's other translations which I find are a little bit more poetic and you probably have said it in your own heart if you know this part of the scriptures where it's like, you probably think of it as like, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How many of you heard it that way? Right? And so, ESV is that way, NKJV, I think KJV um, as well. But that kind of leads, I want to just deal with that quickly because it kind of leads a person down the thought path of working for their salvation, the other translations, not the NLT. Um, it, I just want to be clear that it is by faith alone that we are saved, not of works. There is no work or effort that we can do that brings us to Christ. He saves us entirely, fully, completely. He sustains us. Um, not because you've done good, not because you've um, earned it, deserved it, but because he loves us. The works that it's talking about here, the way it states it there, the results of your salvation. If you see the difference there. Um, it's an overflow. It's an abundance, right? It's like someone told me once, for the men out there who have a, a lady in their life, um, when you buy flowers for them, or let's just open this up, when you buy flowers for your, a loved one, you know, maybe your kid buying it for your mommy, um, 
you don't do it, say, well, I, it's my job, I'm your husband. It's kind of like I, I saw it on TV, guys do this. You know, like that's like, oh, wow, that's really loving. Versus it's the overflow of the love. It's like I did this because I was thinking of you in my day and I just wanted to express, you know, one, an area of my love for you in this way. There's a difference. Do you see that? It's not a duty to, to reveal the results of our salvation to God. It's a joy. It should be a joy if you understand what you've been saved from and how much he loves you. I'm glad that the NLT helps us to clearly see that works is simply an obedient response to Christ saving us. And this verse is tied to Paul's first statement of obedience in his absence, even though the NLT divides the thoughts here with a period. Um, other translations kind of just roll that into one sentence. But um, I'm thinking that Paul's instructions as an apostle of Jesus were for the saints to obey God with deep reverence and fear. And, and that is the practical result of having been saved already, the results of your salvation. Now, it's feeling to me, I don't know how you, if you've pre-read this or just reading it now, that he's putting a lot of emphasis on individuals' response or responsibility, which of course is their own reasonable ability to respond. But I find that the, the verse following brings great peace and it is further truth um, to that equation. So let's just read verse 13 now. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That is pretty cool. Who's working in you? God is, yeah. And where do your desires and power... Hi, Soap. Where does your desire... <laughs> I want to be like Emerald. <laughs> okay, say hi, and then you should go back, all right? Um, who's giving you this desire and, and, and power to do what is pleasing to God? God. I repeated that. There's a reason for that. So herein lies the great, wonderful merger, the merging. We are to obey, responding to God's word, the Holy Spirit's counsel and guidance, and then at the same time, it is God who empowers you to do so. This is a result of a beautiful, redeemed relationship with him. He asks you to do things to please him that you cannot do apart from him. When we are Christ's vessels filled with God's spirit, which results in, the, in a desire to honor him, this is what happens. And he is worthy and he deserves to receive all glory and honor and praise because he is God, for one. He rescued you. He gave you new life. If you're not in Christ, if you have not put your faith in, in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ and you expect to be accepted and pleasing to him, let me tell you that you're riding on your own strength and only what you can bring to the table. Perhaps then you are either a deceived goat amongst sheep and the scriptures tell us that on judgment day, Jesus will divide the goats from the sheep. Jesus is a good shepherd. Shepherds are looking after their sheep. The sheep are his. The goats are not. Then God tells us in Isaiah 40, 64, verse 6, we are all infected with impure sin. When we display our righteous deeds, so what we bring to the table, apart from being in Christ, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, which we wither and fall, 
and our sins sweep us away like the wind. That, that filthy rag, if you've never heard this before, but this ties to the, the women's cycle, what they used. So we're not just talking like oil rags, we're talking filthy rags. That's your best efforts apart from Christ, unredeemed. <clears throat> so I'm not too sure of many unbelievers who are trying to please God, but if you haven't been born again, been made new by the saving power of Jesus Christ, then please, for the glory of God and for your sake, reach out and receive the gift of forgiveness of your sins, repent of the sinful life you've lived thus far, and in the end, also, reach out to a a Christian that you know and trust because they're going to be an important part of your support network going forward. Let's look at verses 14 and 15 next. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Verse 14 is pretty straightforward. We're talking about we have no, no grounds for complaining, no grounds for arguing, especially when you think of the life that Jesus Christ and that, uh, the life of Jesus Christ and what he endured. Um, the cross, of course, being the culmination, the heaviest, but, but everything before that. And for you, for me, he did this. Complaining and arguing are weaknesses within our flesh that gives way to graver issues. So remember, with hearts of thankfulness, we just had Thanksgiving last weekend, which is funny that it's a one-weekend thing. I mean, we should be thankful every day. Um, you know, let us, it says, let us not forget, oh, my soul, in Psalm 103. Let's not forget. Let's be thankful so that we don't lead into these heart issues of complaining and arguing that leads to graver issues. We're told in Hebrews 4.15, it is the high priest, this high priest Jesus, it's referring to, who understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same thing, testings we do, and yet he did not sin. We can rejoice in that. He sympathizes with us. He knows our struggles. We have no grounds to complain or argue. The reason, I think, that we do complain is likely because you've allowed your gaze to fall down the earth. <clears throat> um, I think when we take on an earthly perspective rather than an eternal perspective, a heavenly one, we find, we quantify, qualify our complaining. Um, When we are in the word, praying regularly, fellowshipping regularly, we remember our true home, and it causes the things of the earth to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Remember that hymn? And it gives us a biblical perspective again. We can easily look at things with a myopic view, right? You know, like... Sometimes you get like a course syllabus if you're ever in university and it's like your whole world closes in and all you can focus on is like this 40-page paper that's going to be due partway through. We have a tendency to go that way. We have a tendency to just zoom in on something and, and just forget our peripheral. But lift your eyes quickly and you'll forget what seemed worthy of your complaints before. And, and then secondly, why do we argue? If we argue about our circumstances... It is because you've forgotten who's in charge, who's orchestrating your life. It is our sovereign, supreme, heavenly Father. Sometimes we forget that this here is our temporal, flawed home. We're not meant to be totally happy here, in a sense, totally comfortable here. Our discontentedness should be a holy 
discontentedness, longing to be in our heavenly home, rather. Or, or if we argue perhaps with one another rather than just circumstances, then we've put ourselves, our preferences, our own ambitions before fellow humanity, fellow man, or even before God. Again, recall verses 5 to 11. What did Christ do? He's our example to follow. And when we follow God, loving God first above all else, and loving your neighbor as yourself, doing it to others as you'd have them do to you, you live innocent lives as children of God. And right here in Whitehorse, as you think and live biblically, you will shine more brightly and appear brighter too. As Whitehorse, which I like to call Vanity City, (laughs) our crooked and perverse earthly home here will continue to become more and more evil. For example, I heard someone say once that today, one of the greatest testimonies of God's grace and provision is just simply an intact family, an intact family nucleus. You know, decades ago, and this isn't an attack if you come from broken homes, God redeems all things. But and just, just as an example, an illustration, decades ago, a regular family, mom and dad, first marriage, only marriage, kids from those two people, was pretty ordinary, nothing really worth mentioning. But more and more, a regular family, particularly one that is founded on Jesus Christ and submits to God's word, is an incredibly bright witness to a world, and, and it's quite an opportunity to share God's love to those looking in on your life. Verse 16. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Holding firmly, running the race, work was not useless. Paul here is, is using or is encouraging the Philippians to live biblically and he, to renew their minds in the scripture so as to be transformed. There's a personal action here. Hold firmly to the word of life. A, a hortatory statement where Paul was commanding them. They were not to wait for a Sunday sermon to fill up their tanks, <clears throat> to feed their spiritual bellies. But they themselves were to feed regularly from the scriptures. Taste and see that the Lord is good, the scriptures say. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Then, Paul says, he knows if the Philippians are faithful to run their race well, then his service will not have been in vain. And then, are we to slow down running a race at any point? What do you think? Ask yourselves that. Summer break, Christmas holidays, retirement, are any of those a good place to let off? I, I think, rather, this illustration, you, we should screech into our, into our coffins, say, just no gas left in our tank, just saying, what a ride! I hope that's what we can do. I hope we can encourage each other to accelerate. Not, I'm not talking about being chickens with their heads cut off here, but I'm saying working for the Lord, seeing his kingdom come, evangelizing, to the, witnessing to the lost. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, remember it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. It's not even talking about sin yet. So there's things that will slow you down that aren't good to help you run the race. And then it says, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set, out, set before us. We do, not, we do this 
sorry, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. See? Keeping our eyes, eternal perspective. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The one who gives desire, power, please him. Our final two verses, 17. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Now, Paul is actually speaking of his potential martyrdom here. He uses a, a picture, a word picture that people would be quite familiar with, which is an Old Testament sacrifice. And within this word picture, he actually humbly downplays his role, which is pretty cool. Listen, listen here. The Philippians' faithful service is the sacrifice, their actions. And Paul himself is the drink offering poured out over the sacrifice of their faith. And he is happy to do it, he says, if it were to come. I, re- I will rejoice, he says. And then as I look at that joy, he's saying that joy, at the end of the 17th verse there, I think it is, a, it, it is the joy of his role that he is likely encouraging them too to grow to a spiritual point of maturity that in turn, they can grow others like he is doing. Disciples who make disciples, right? It is incredibly joyous to be part of a younger Christian's faith walk, faith journey. It's mutually encouraging, actually. Um, it encourages the older believer to see their vigor, their, their passion. It spurs you on. So you, maybe things have become a little winter feel, wintry-like for you in your walk. Finally, in verse 18, should martyrdom come to Paul, he encourages them to rejoice. He, he's he's wa- not wanting them to be sad should it come because it would purely be a glorious graduation. See, Paul had an eternal perspective here. It would be a promotion. It would be a true homecoming. You guys... In John 16, 33, as Jesus told his disciples during his earthly ministry, and this was in relation to his crucifixion, he said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The Christian, we're on the winning side. And the winning side is not limping along. We are victorious already. We are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ already. We are beacons of light on a hill as our, as our obedience merges with God's power to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So we can go out of here rejoicing, knowing that it is God who is for you, not against you. I know a lot of people struggle with that father figure image, but know that God is for you. If, you're, if your image or understanding of God is one that brings doubt or heaviness in the sense of you don't think he is good, you don't think he's gracious, you don't think he's loving, dive into the word or talk to somebody that you trust that knows more more of the scriptures than you perhaps because God is for you. Come, he says to all who will believe, come. He wants you to reflect him. Just as the moon reflects the sun, he wants you to reflect his sun. He wants you and empowers you to keep your eyes fixed on him on eternity, on running this race with perseverance. Think, think of a relay race at an Olympic event, perhaps. You know, every thought of, of that athlete, of those athletes on one team, is fixed on the finish line. 
They're, they're imagining every one of their steps, every one of their strides. They're working in perfect harmony, that team, as best as they've been, as best as, as they've been able to practice. Um, they're united in a common purpose. You know, your grip on your team's baton as you stride forward is like a vice-like grip determination. And you hand it off to your next teammate with the greatest of encouragement you can in a breathless state. At least no breath for talking. The final teammate crosses the finish line with nothing left. Having given it all, you've got nothing left to give. And that's what I think we're to do as Christians. Not hold back, but remember that the reserves we have come from a, an infinite God. What a life we get to live. The abundant life, as it says in John 10.10. 10. Jesus has come to give us the abundant life. You know, sometimes I've seen, when I was, before I was saved, you know, I used to look in on some Christian groups. I'm like, man, they're just a bunch of doldrums. Like, they're just down on life. And I'm sure you've heard this plug before. We're to be the most joyous. We've got the most to be joyous about. Not that we can't be somber, and there's times for somber uh, reflection, but we should be holy partiers, right? We should do this with an eternal perspective. We are different than the world around us. We're different than most of the people in Whitehorse. We're different than most of the people on your street. We're not normal. <laughs> I'm practicing saying that because as I'm homeschooling my kids and stuff, I want to get used to saying, I want to get used to accepting that. So l- let yourself hear that. You're not, if you're a Christian here today, you're not normal. Okay? You might appear normal, but if you're living biblically, you're not normal. But, you know, I think it's better to accept that sooner than later. And better late than never. <laughs> so, guys, I just want to encourage you. Let's shine brightly for him. You know, like the little kid's song, you know, hide it under a bushel, oh no, I'm going to let it shine. You know, we want to live out our faith. We want the rubber to meet the road. We don't want it all to be intellect. We don't want it to be disengaged from how we live our life. How we look at the word, process it, render it down, should change how we live. And, and I know it's a struggle for me too. It's not like I'm a shining perfect example standing here before you. I've got issues. <laughs> Trust you me. But we want to do this together. We want to encourage each other along. We want to know that our debt has been paid in full. We want to know that we have one who wills with, to do and to work according to his good pleasure. He empowers us. He gives us the desires. So, man, what a ride we get to have with Christ on our side, or should I say, us on his side. Um, hopefully that's encouraging for you guys today. Let's just close in a word of prayer and then get a song for you guys. Heavenly Father, thank you that this is the truth. Lord, that your word empowers, changes, imputes change to us. And God, I just pray for your church here today and Northern Collective that we would leave here changed, not the same as we were as we walked in an hour ago, Lord, but for your glory changed, ones who will live a life that is counter-cultural just because if we live biblically, inevitably it is counter-cultural. Lord, thank you for your power, your presence. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.